You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Andrew Gabriel is the author of a new book called Simply Spirit-Filled, Experiencing God in the Presence and Power of the Holy Spirit. He's also a theology professor at Horizon College and Seminary in Saskatoon. Andrew spoke to us about what it means to be Pentecostal and charismatic and how those things are alike and different. We also got into how you know if a spiritual experience is from God or not. We think you'll enjoy this interview. Andrew, I visited your website the other day, and your tagline says that you are a Pentecostal charismatic theologian. What exactly does that mean? Uh, Yes. Um, Well, the Pentecostal charismatic movement really started in the 20th century. Many people would say with the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, uh, but it certainly goes back earlier than that with other similar revivals with Uh, Pentecostal-like experiences like speaking in tongues and very exuberant worship and that kind of thing. Uh, And then eventually you have what's known as the charismatic movement that spreads uh, into the mainline churches like the Anglican Church, the uh, Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church in the 1960s especially and continues to grow even to today. And many people would try to distinguish these theologically or historically, as I've even just done. Uh, But a lot of uh, academic scholars of history and theology and whatever would say that there's so much overlap between this Pentecostal charismatic movement that you can kind of hyphenate them and put them together because they're all trying to emphasize, and I think I'm really answering your question properly now, they're all really trying to emphasize the the spirit in theology, the spirit in experience, and the spirit in life, and, and having real intense encounters of the, of the spirit sometimes. So not just kind of saying that the spirit dwells in our hearts because we're Christians, but actually expecting to have something that's tangible is not the right word, but something that's intense and really experiential. So that's what I mean. I'm I'm trying to speak to anybody who would consider themselves Pentecostal and charismatic and trying to represent that. Okay. So um, a charismatic person might not necessarily be a Pentecostal person. Is that right? Or Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's some people who would say, well, I'm a Pentecostal and I'm definitely not a charismatic. And there's others, vice versa, who would say, I'm charismatic, but don't you dare call me a Pentecostal. Uh, And then and then there's others who uh, scholars would actually say are part of the Pentecostal charismatic movement, but wouldn't be comfortable with either of those terms. Um, So Pentecostals maybe are known for perhaps emphasizing speaking in tongues a little bit more than charismatics and charismatics many would say perhaps emphasize prophecy more than speaking in tongues and then there's others who maybe like both or neither but they still are very much into uh, wanting to emphasize that you know the, the the spirit still works today in dramatic and miraculous ways like healings and uh, maybe speaking in tongues and prophecy but again won't use the pentecostal or charismatic term Given that understanding that the two overlap, I mean, in some people's minds, they are the same, but not always. Mm -hmm. How large is this? uh, Can we call it a movement or how large is the Pentecostal charismatic community in Canada and also globally? Are there numbers? 
Oh, right. Uh, Canada, off the top of my head, I don't have those statistics. I know I have them somewhere in files. <laughs> but uh, in, in the world, the Pentecostal charismatic movement would typically be said to be around uh, 600 million or more people. Uh, so that includes so-called classical Pentecostals, like uh, denominations like the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, the Apostolic Church of Pentecost in Canada, and Church of God, and other groups like that. But it also includes the wider charismatic movement, like those in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, for example. But yeah, so worldwide, about 600 million. Uh, in Canada, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. Okay. Well, uh, you have a book coming out, uh, mm -hmm. Simply Spirit Filled, which strikes me as a very accessible and, um, you know, comfortably written book that explains the life of the spirit. That's how, that's how I experienced your book. What are you mm -hmm. trying to accomplish with it? Yeah, I'm glad how you described it. Uh, because I'm trying to, but I'm not just trying to reach charismatics and, and Pentecostals. I'm really, and that's probably a, a challenge with the book because I'm trying to reach too many people perhaps. But on the one hand, I'm writing for people who are what I call in the book spirit experience junkies. And I would say I've been there myself. People who are all into anything that has anything to do with the spirit, whether or not it's authentic or not, they just want to, they want to be a part of it because they want to experience all that God has for them in the Holy Spirit, but sometimes lacking discernment and not willing to uh, really test what is authentic and what isn't. And then on the other hand, I'm, I'm also writing for those who are, you know, they're curious about the Holy Spirit, but they're very cautious and maybe they're even skeptical perhaps because of their tradition, uh, their upbringing, or maybe they've been a part of the Pentecostal charismatic movement, but they've been burned in some way, and now they're skeptical of, of uh, claims to experience the Holy Spirit. And I'm trying for, for these groups to, on the one hand, encourage them to be opening, to open, to be open, sorry, to to real authentic experiences of the Spirit, because, you know, the Spirit was upon Jesus. We read that numerous times throughout the Gospels. You know, at Luke chapter 4, he says, the Spirit of the Lord was upon me. And, you know, we all think Jesus is wonderful, and the Spirit was very much involved in his life. And so I want people to be open to the Spirit, but at the same time, uh, to be to be testing, to be discerning, to be thoughtful in their experience of the Spirit, and uh, to, you know, well, as First Thessalonians says, to test everything, but to hold up, to hold fast to what is good. Uh, and in trying to do that, in trying to reach that aim, to help people to be open and yet discerning, I also want people to realize that, you know, the Spirit isn't just involved in the dramatic, in the miraculous, in the extraordinary, out of the ordinary things. Because sometimes, this is especially do, true for Pentecostals and Charismatics, they can think that the spirit is only involved if somebody's speaking in tongues or shaking or, or crying or something very uh, intense. Uh, but I want people to realize that, you know what, the spirit's involved in many of the ordinary, everyday, quiet things. And I think that when you described the book as comfortable, that's probably part of why is, you know, I want people to say, hey, look, the spirit's involved in this person's life, enabling them to be a better leader or the spirits involved in this person's life or their own life, you know, shaping them to have the character of Christ and, and things like that. So you mentioned, you use the words real and authentic. Help us understand 
how you would know if what you were experiencing was real and authentic from God? How how do you tell? Right. Oh, that's a that's a big question. Um, I think the basis for that for me is certainly the scripture. So I, I do spend a lot of time in the book, uh, you know, wrestling through the scripture and saying, what is the Bible really saying here and what is it not saying? Uh, and then, of course, sharing some of my own stories of what it was like for me. Um, but sometimes I would say you, you can't always tell. And that's that's not the answer that people want to know. You know, they want to say, I can know with absolute certainty right now, this is God speaking to me, or this is an experience from the Spirit. But sometimes it, sometimes it is a challenge, and it, and it will take some time to discern that, especially when it comes to, to hearing the Spirit speak to us. Um, but I think if we can ground our experiences in Scripture, for sure, that's that's the best way to, to be able to discern that. Uh, the other side of the answer to when I say you can't always tell is that sometimes our experiences of the Spirit, we we aren't really aware of them. Uh, so when the Spirit is shaping our character, you know, we're not always sitting there crying or shaking or something like that, but the Spirit's quietly at work in our lives, shaping us. Uh, sometimes, I remember, uh, and I tell this story in the book, I remember one time I had a student come to my office and uh, was feeling very discouraged. Uh, but I could tell that this student was doing excellent work and, you know, was 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 going to pass the course. And it was I didn't have any concerns, but I saw some marks on the student's arms, which indicated to me that this student has struggled with some mental illness. And this isn't a student I've had any time recently. So it's not not anybody that would know uh, who I'm talking about. But so I encouraged the student, and I don't remember everything that I said, but I remember, you know, talking about you're a child of God and you're made in the image of God and so forth. And at the time, I wasn't thinking, oh, you know, the Spirit's speaking through me or anything. But after the after the student left, I remember sitting there thinking, like, wow, like that student left encouraged. That student felt that student left with, you know, a a new uh, countenance upon their face, you might say, and and. I, when the student left, I didn't, I had a sense that when I spoke, I wasn't just speaking words that I knew from my study as much as that might've been true, but I really felt like the spirit had spoken through me. And again, I didn't feel like that at the time, but after the, after the student left, I was like, wow, like I didn't think of those things by myself. And so now grounding that experience in scripture, I think of first Corinthians 14, when Paul says that when we prophesy to one another, it's for our encouragement and our strengthening and for our comfort. And I thought, oh, you know, that was an experience of prophecy where the spirit was revealing things through me and speaking to me to encourage this person. Uh, so to me, it's kind of our, we feel it, we sense it, but we also see how it's connected to what we read in the scripture. Yeah. And so this connection to what we find in scripture, um, if I'm understanding you correctly, so if I experienced something that I felt was from, was the Holy Spirit, if if that same experience did not appear in scripture, would that give me a reason to question it? Is that well, kind of what you're saying? Okay. Absolutely. Uh, now, it might not have to be an experience that ex is exactly like scripture where we can point to it and say, hey, this is, you know, Paul experienced this in this chapter in this verse. But if we can see some sort of theme or some sort of 
similarities between our experiences and what we see in the scripture, then they could certainly be regarded as authentic, but not necessarily all of them. Uh, so just to give an analogy, like, you know, I, I am a Pentecostal. I speak in tongues regularly. Uh, and I see that in scripture multiple times, but it doesn't mean that just because somebody's making noises that they're speaking in tongues. Right. <laughs> Actually, I'd love to drill down on a couple of um, more common manifestations of the Holy Spirit, like sure. speaking in tongues. And um, let's say you were talking to someone who had never experienced that, but was kind of curious about it. And mm-hmm. let's face it, it can be a uh, disarming or kind disconcerting experience if you step into a service where that's happening and you have not heard it before. Absolutely. Um, So tell us what exactly is happening. And for you as someone who um, experiences that, you know, sounds like fairly often, what is it like? Hmm. Uh, Well, first of all, I think for those who have the feelings that you're describing that, you know, they might walk into a service, they've never heard it before, not heard it much. They're not alone. You know, uh, on the day of Pentecost, people were like, oh, what's going on? These people are speaking in tongues. They must be drunk. You know, they must be crazy or something. And you see similar things in in uh, First Corinthians. And Paul says, if somebody walks in, they're going to think you're out of your mind if you're all speaking in tongues. So, so it's not an unusual feeling to have. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it comfortable. <laughs> um, but what is it like? Well... You know, some people think that they're expecting it's going to be this overwhelming, miraculous thing that they're not going to be able to do anything but speak in tongues. And I haven't personally had an experience like that, but I I have talked to people and read from history, uh, different people who have had experiences like that, where basically it's almost like God took their tongue and they, they couldn't even speak in their, in their you know, for, for us, English anymore in their native language. And they could only speak in tongues. And it would seem like this overwhelming thing that they lost control. But for most people, and I would say this would be typically from my experience, it's it's not something where I feel out of control. It's this working together of, well, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 13. He says that our spirit prays, but, you know, the spirit is praying through us, uh, the Holy Spirit, that is. And so there's this working together of, of my will and, and my tongue. And the, and the spirit. And so even Acts chapter two, it says that they spoke in tongues as the spirit enabled them. So when I speak in tongues, I'm the one who does it. I, I start it, if you will. Uh, you know, I initiate it. That's the word I'm looking for. And yet I do sense like God is present in me, praying through me by the Holy Spirit to, to pray things that I don't necessarily understand or know what I'm praying um, and I don't necessarily feel all that different than when I'm praying in English. Like I don't necessarily feel a, you know, I don't feel a tingly or a warmth necessarily, although somebody might sometimes when they pray in tongues. But I do feel, I guess, a connection with God that, uh, again, you could have when you pray in English. Uh, I'm not sure how else to put it, but I feel a closeness with God as I'm praying in tongues. I mean, it sounds like you, it sounds like an experience of participating with God in something. Absolutely. Yeah. How about um, the the term being slain in the spirit? Unpack that for us. So slain in the spirit is, uh, some people don't necessarily like that 
phrase because okay. slain, you know, slain sounds like you're being killed. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, uh, many people would prefer something like falling under the power of God or or something like that. But um, I do use both both uh, both. Uh, phrases for referring to the same experience. So the idea is that typically somebody will be worshiping God and they're uh, overwhelmed by the presence of God and they fall down. That's that's the idea of being slain in the spirit. Now, uh, if you've watched much TV, uh, certain people that uh, have TV shows or uh, maybe have clips on YouTube or something like that, you'll know that many people who fall down are perhaps actually pushed over or they're not just standing there and they kind of randomly fall over, but somebody's praying for them or um, they wave a hand at them or something like that. And that would be another way that people are possibly slain in the spirit. And I say possibly because I think maybe perhaps people aren't as discerning enough about this experience and after that experience happens, do, are people left, and it's genuine, are people left with a feeling of peace and well-being? I, I'm guessing that must be the case. Right, right. So I would say that would be one of the ways that we can kind of test, if you will, to see if this is truly from God, is what is what is coming out of this? And so, you know, if somebody does feel like God is speaking to them and, you know, they've fallen over, They've sensed God. They're they're having a sense of peace, a sense of comfort, um, sensing God's presence, hearing God speak. Uh, you use the word peace. I've read that. Uh, I've experienced that myself. In in that, um, and there sometimes people when they're slain in the spirit and they're laying on the floor, they might have a consciousness of what's going on around them, but usually they have a, a heightened sense of God's presence where it's. It's almost like uh, all they're aware of is God. They might still hear the music where it might become more faint, um, whereas at other times people will be much more aware of what's going on around them. But definitely that, that sense of, of peace and the presence of God is something that people would typically describe as fairly strong in, in that experience. Andrew, you mentioned uh, maybe the, the misuse or the you know, presenting these gifts in a, in the wrong way on a, a TV show or that sort of stereotypical idea we have. So I'd love for you to talk to us for a minute just about the shadow side of, of maybe these experiences or the misuse of them that can happen. You know, can people be hurt in charismatic settings in a way that we could prevent? Right. Absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of people have been. And I would say in my own life, I kind of, even though I grew up in the Pentecostal and charismatic circles, I somewhat reacted against them uh, to some extent because of misuse and abuse. And I think it starts with often good intentions. So people have these real intense authentic experiences of God where their their lives are transformed. You know, maybe they're delivered from addictions, maybe they're healed and they have these amazing experiences and they're out of the ordinary, but they try to make them the ordinary. And what I mean by that is that they try to manufacture them. They try to make an experience that they've had happen again. And we can't make the spirit work. We can't make these things happen. We can pray for it all we want, but we can't control God. 
We can't control when God pours out the Spirit in these great, intense ways, just like we can't control when God does or doesn't heal somebody. And so, you know, if, if, you, if somebody has fallen down under the presence of God, for example, and somebody comes along and goes, hey, this is great, this is amazing, you know, people, people were touched, people experienced God's presence, let's make this happen, and let's go around and pray for people and, you know, we push literally on their heads until they fall over and try to make this happen again. Or, you know, people have spoken in tongues and they felt like it was this great experience. Well, let's teach them how to do it. Repeat after me, say this, say that, uh, and try to make it seem like they're speaking in tongues when maybe they really aren't. And so then people begin to go, hey, wait a second, this, I think people can sense that it's manufactured and sense that somebody's trying to create something that isn't authentic. And so they react against it and they go, well, you know, I don't know if I want to be a part of this or anything that has to do with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah. I have, uh, you know, friends who grew up in a charismatic tradition who, you know, really warmly and with great affection speak about, um, sort of pretending in order to bring a service to a close <laughs> or something like feeling like if this doesn't happen, this is going to go on forever. So we need to make it happen. Um, but we all, we all have funny stories about our own traditions growing up. That's for sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Andrew, tell me, um, you know, as a, a theologian scholar and an author uh, who works and also lives and worships in this world, tell us what is most beautiful about it? What do you most love about your tradition? Well, I think it is the fact that we, ex and I will say we, since I'm a part of the tradition, that we expect to experience God in real life transforming ways. So, you know, on the one hand, that can lead to people trying to manufacture things, and that's the dark or the shadow side that you spoke of. But on the other hand, you know, we don't expect to just kind of believe that God exists and go about our business as normal. You know, we, we really believe that God can transform people's lives and turn their lives around. Uh, and that can come in, you know, taking somebody from poverty and, you know, giving them the ability to focus and to be able to get a job and to work. That can come in somebody who's healed from any sickness or disease that can come from somebody who's got, you know, significant character issues that, you know, now they're, they're starting to live with the fruit of the spirit, with love, joy, peace, patience, and truth and so forth. And, uh, and it changes their lives because they're able to navigate the world around them in new ways that they, they have abilities to, to get a job. They've got abilities for people to trust them. Uh, they can, you know, it's it's the expectation that God is with us and guiding us and leading us in every every day. And I suppose I've just emphasized some of the dramatic things, but it is it is the everyday thing too that you know when we pray we expect that God will lead us sometimes in ways we're not aware of, but also that sometimes God will speak to us and say, "Hey, go pray for that person," or you know, write an encouraging note for that person, or take a meal to that person, or something like that. So it's, we expect our faith to, to be real in, when I say real, I mean in ways that are actually going to change our lives from day to day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.